Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Hello and welcome to the Manchester is Red podcast. My name is Stephen Railston. I'm your host for today's episode. I'm joined by Samuel Luckhurst and in this episode we'll get into Samuel's chat along with some other journalists in London on Wednesday with Surgeon Ratcliffe. It should be really interesting to hear Samuel's thoughts on that. Um, get a bit of news up in the hierarchy of the club uh, involving uh, Fletcher and Hargreaves and John Murtagh as well. And we'll look at Dan Ashworth tending his flowers again because of course we'll have to give that a mention. And we'll look ahead to the Fulham game on Saturday afternoon at Old Trafford which is a classic 3pm kickoff slot. Um, Samuel, how are you? I'm very well, thank you. Very well. Um, still dining off our very uh, enjoyable five-a-side win last night. Apart from the rain coming down for around 15 minutes, um, it was a good game, wasn't it? B- performed it was, quite well, yeah. collectively. Yeah. It, was a, it was a bit of a bizarre opening 20 minutes, though, because I think for five-a-side games, you're expecting the goals to flow. Um, but it was minimal action for the first it was, 15 It was minutes. very tense, yeah. You, you, yeah. you, you got a, an, an eight in my player ratings anyway. I thought you were very combative and you took some goals well, so... I'll take that, but your finishing could have been better. So there you go. Plenty of work on, plenty of work on. Um, anyway, Samuel, uh, you arrived late to the podcast studio here, uh, the virtual podcast studio, and I had a coffee ready because I wanted to sit back and listen to your uh, account of your conversation with Surgeon Ratcliffe on Wednesday. But I'll just have to sit back and sip my imaginary coffee um, because, of course, you went down to London uh, with some other journalists to speak to Surgeon Ratcliffe on Wednesday. He spoke to uh, members of the press before the Tottenham game, but he couldn't really say much. And of course, his official confirmation of his uh, minority stake um, came on Tuesday night. We actually recorded the midweek edition on Tuesday morning, didn't we? Which is why that wasn't covered in the Wednesday podcast, if you were listening to that. Um, but we've had that confirmation. Ratcliffe talked to journalists and by all accounts, Samuel, it came across very well. So could you provide us with some colour and kind of uh, delve into that? Yes, he was obviously very coy when he came into the press conference room at Old Trafford last month and on Wednesday he was he was candid. We we had an hour with him. What I, the first thing I'd say about it is that it was all on the record. We've spoken to people in the past at Manchester United, uh, someone who doesn't work there anymore, I think m- most sports can guess, and it was always off the record and it never made a great deal of sense that it was off the record because there was nothing particularly incendiary, there was nothing particularly sensitive uh, in, in those briefings. So to be speaking to a guy who is now the one of the co-owners and is worth £29 billion, it's all on the record. From a journalistic perspective, that's great. And of course, he's he, he's very well prepared. He's got um, some very good comms professionals advising him. Um, Milltown, who were the PR agency that, that Ineos appointed, to help them coordinate um, in, in, during the process of the strategic review, uh, a run by Paddy Harvison, who was the first ever United comms director at the start of the century. And then he moved to Clarence House and he's worked with Prince Charles and Prince William and is, is Prince Harry still a prince anymore? Uh, I'm not too sure what his title is these days, but he's he's worked with probably the three most famous um, British British people on the on the planet. 
so he's got great experience in it. Tom Crossy is the, um, I think he's the comms director, but he's certainly a director at Ineos and he sat in on it. And there was someone from, from United who sat in this room as well. And, um, I mean, coincidentally, this time last week, I was I was in Knightsbridge on a, a, a day off, on a, on a day out in London, and uh, I did pop into Harrods for for a browse around there. And I didn't realise until I got to Ineos's office that their office is literally it's probably two gold frames, not, maybe not even two gold frames away from the entrances to Harrods. Ratcliffe's also got a pub about five, probably ten minute walk away called the the, the Grenadier, which um, I stopped off and, and had a pint there just to you know, see what it was like. It's quite a quaint, tiny little pub in a nice part of part of London. But in terms of the the day on on Wednesday, uh, we were we were led up the uh, from reception area where there was all this. I, I didn't I didn't Google who the artists were, but you could tell by this tasteful art on the wall that. It, it co- all of them had cost quite a fair bit of money, but they were just there on the um, on reception at Ineos's office. We were led up to the first floor where there was this quite plush open kitchen and office space dominate, office space surrounded it. We were guided into a room in the corner. Ratcliffe wasn't waiting there. It was about, this was at about 1.45. The, the chat was due to start at two o'clock. And the thing that's, struck out first and foremost was this mannequin with a red shirt pulled over it quite tightly with a seven on the back and the collar raised. It was the the 98 to 2000 United home shirt. It was the last one that had the, the sharp sponsor on it. It was the one they wore during the treble winning season. Um, and there was a seven on the back of it, no name. And me being the anorak that I am, I thought it's probably Eric Cantona's shirt from the, the Munich testimonial in August 98. And it was Ratcliffe confirmed that I didn't, I didn't like try and impress him saying, Oh, is that, you know, I, I'd have sounded like an in- incredible nerd if I'd done that. But there were some programs laid out as well. There were programs from uh, the 98 and sorry, the 99 Champions League final, the 2008 Champions League final, the 1968 European cup final, and also the uh, 1991 uh, European cup winners cup final. I didn't see the program from the, Europa League final that was clearly not worthy of inclusion and there was also a program from the Manchester Derby in November 1992 and immediately I thought that was that was Cantona's debut so that would be the relevance of that being placed there and just nestling next to it was this royal blue scarf with the coat of arms emblazoned on it and European Cup winners 1968 so these um these mementos weren't there when the last of us were who the last of us filing our copy left, they'd they'd been removed. They were clearly just placed there for for, for the for the occasion. But Ratcliffe came in. He's as people can see, I mean, I spoke to um a friend nearby, a season ticket holder who's been going for years, and she said, Oh, he's tall, isn't he? And I said, Yes, yes, he is. He is a very imposing guy, very lean as well, because he's obviously into his marathon running. He's 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 a clearly a very fit guy. He pressed the flesh. I think the first thing he said is, oh, I'm not going to remember all these names. And when we were placing our dipped phones down, he said, better not trip up today to, to chuckles as well. He's, he's clearly very, very comfortable in that setting. And I thought he would be just going off Matt Dickinson's interview uh, that he did with the Times in, was it October 2019, where he came out with that, you know, you think of what was the most quotable things Jim Ratcliffe has said about Manchester United before this week. And it was the dumb money quote about Fred. So I suspected he would be good for a quote. And we were told it was going to be pretty much for an hour at the start of it. And we could ask anything. And Ratcliffe agreed to that. And that's always a good sign if if you're there to speak to someone and you can ask them anything. So we've got an hour with him. And the embargo imposed was 4.30. So it was 2 till 3. And then, of course, it's a lot of transcribing to do. And then you've got to file your stories. But in terms of the chat itself... Um, I mean, he took his jacket off to have the chat. A lady brought him a coffee and occasionally he'd go to take a sip of the coffee, but he'd prioritise answering the questions so the coffee cup would go back down the saucer. He didn't really use, he wasn't animated with his with his hands. I mean, some people can be, um, it's almost as if they've watched a, a high performance video podcast. Or Is that a sly um, dig at me there, Samuel? Because I've realised when we're in the office, I'm a very handy talker. No, no, I've never noticed. I've, I've, I've never noticed that myself. <laughs> but 
I was obviously I was jotting things down, noting things along, but it got to the point where it was just it was way. I mean, I was I was pretty fixed on him most of the time anyway, and there wasn't a lot of body language to to take in to really um, to use for the, the the color piece I was doing for the following morning because the quotes were so great. And I was listing, you know, that's a news line, that's a news line, that's a news line. Then some of these news lines, there was a line going through them because he trumped it with something else that he'd said. Because I thought what he was talking about at first about the Glazers was was really interesting. And then that was deemed not worthy of a story. What he was talking about, Nice, was interesting and multi-club ownership. Then that wasn't worthy of a story because something else had trumped it. In the end, I think we got outside and... Jeremy Cross was there for, for for the Reach Nationals, and he was ticking off. Right, I've done Ashworth, done uh, knock them off their perch, uh, done Old Trafford, or, or something else. And then I said the shake. He's like, oh yeah, the shake, shake. And so that's another story that we had to do as well. So I think the five stories that I filed from it were obviously well, on Old Trafford. It was knocking, wanting to knock City off their perch. Um, it was his comments about Newcastle and and Dan Ashworth. Uh, the 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 possible deep fake shake as, as I've now, seen, now decided to call him Sheikh Hassim. And there was another one as well, I think, uh, Mason Greenwood, of course, which was you know, possibly in, in a way, probably the biggest news story from it to, to an extent. It's, it's difficult to interpret what the biggest story was. I mean, I, I, I was you know quite flattered, but I thought that our paper would, would do a front page splash in it because I had an inkling that he would be, very open about Old Trafford. And I actually asked him, I, I said, just, just to clarify, are you saying that you would want to knock it down, rebuild it? And he said, it's a no-brainer. And you think that's a great quote. And then he calls Newcastle silly, uh, their conduct over Dan Ashworth. He says, it's silly, it's absurd, it's stupid. You think, this is a dream as well. But this is just, this guy's a dream of a talker. And then he says, I'm not sure he even exists when we're talking about um, Shea Kassim. You think this is, this is another great quote. And, Jeremy, who's who sat next sat next to him, he was at the head of the table. Ratcliffe. Jeremy was fortunate to be one of the nearest to him. You know, just listening back to the the the, um, the recording of it, he's just cackling away with laughter at that quote. And it was difficult. It was difficult for me to to try and conceal laughing at it. I think we all had a, a chuckle at the very least. So it was a very good hour, um, and you know, kind of like true to form, as I said, you know, he's quoting Sir Alex Ferguson with Cantona's shirt on display behind him. And he he's, as I said, he's very well prepared, uh, but he does come across speaking in a natural way. And you know, although some of the things may, in, in retrospect, you may think, okay, was that possibly scripted? But I thought he ended on a great place when he was talking about, um, you know, he was, he was talking about meeting Ferguson and how, he spent four hours at his house in, in January and how fiercely competitive he was. And that was why he was successful. And then he came up with this anecdote about Queen Victoria being present for the first America's Cup in in, in uh, 1851 against uh, America. And I think the Brits had 11 yachts to uh, race around the Isle of Wight. And it was it was hosted by the Royal Yacht, Royal Yacht Squadron. Uh, I believe, and in the end, the American boat uh, won the race. And Queen Victoria allegedly said she turned to the Commodore and said, "Did we come second? And the Commodore said, "There is no second. And that was how it finished. I thought, you know, that's and, and as his um, as his advisor or, or, or colleague Tom Crotty said, he said that's that's a good place to end on. And I thought, yeah, this is this is something Cantona would approve of. I mean, there's a ton to get into there and to kind of unravel, yeah. Samuel. Um, the entire transcript is available on the Manchester Evening News's website, so it's definitely worth checking out if you haven't already. And use the um, app for that as well, because the user experience on desktop would, uh, I dread to think what it'd be, or, or on a on a, on, on Google Chrome, or, or is it Safari if you go and read a view as well? I mean, that's there's a little advisable. known thing that I think people don't realise. If you actually click on the little AA in the top right of the corner, if you're using the Safari app, it pops open a reader view. A much clean, cleaner uh, user experience with no adverts, etc. So we recommend that if you're going to read that piece. And um, where do you want to start, then, Samuel? I mean, as I said, there is a lot to get into. You just kind of unpicked maybe Greenwood is is perhaps the biggest story from that. Um, Ratcliffe essentially left the door open and kind of said Ineos would make a fresh decision, didn't he? We've talked about um, what we think the right decision should be on a previous podcast and talked about the importance of kind of addressing the matter as a priority because. 
ideally with a new ownership coming in um i mean obviously on loan at Gaddafi, you'd you'd want to probably sell him before the first day of pre-season but i mean ratcliffe's court suggested he, he could be brought back into the fold did they not he definitely left the door open to it we in fairness to Adam Crafton, he was the one who said, we, we don't quote you out of context here, just to clarify, are you not closing the door on him? And he said, you know, yeah, we have to make a decision. So it will be a fresh decision separate to the decision that was made in August when United indicated that he's he will not play for the club again. What I would say is I, I still think a lot would have to happen for him to play for United again because... Although Ratcliffe said that, you know, the door is open and they've got to, you know, I think he said we've got to ignore the hype, deal with the facts. Is he a good person? Is he not a good person? And just looking at the quote again, because it is important to take the context in with, with the quote, he said, could he play sincerely for Manchester United well and we'd be comfortable with it and the fans would be comfortable with it? There will still be a lot of fans, if not the majority of fans, who are uncomfortable with it who would still be uncomfortable with the prospect one year on. So that's why I still believe he will not play for United again. And they are still in a difficult position because in terms of selling him, that the Spanish clubs are skinned, most of them. And he's not. Real Madrid are not going to sign him. Barcelona are probably not going to sign him. Um, yeah, I Maybe Atletico Madrid at a push, but I'm, I'm just being, I'm, I'm looking hypothetically here. Um, what other clubs on the continent would be happy to spend money and or, or if United are some that United would deem acceptable to sell someone who's not played for the club in two and a half years and is out of contract next year? It's very, 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 very difficult to whittle that list down. Maybe some of the German clubs have got that kind of money, but given the fan-centric nature um, of those clubs and how the, the, the stake that the supporters have in those clubs... I would imagine the majority of those clubs' supporters would be against it. There's a reason why the Hetafe loan happened. It was because nobody saw it coming and it was kept under wraps because they didn't want any blowback from supporters. There were some clubs who were getting linked with Greenwood. Fans would get in uproar and the clubs would walk away because of fan power. And I could see that happening again with United. I don't think there's necessarily an English club that's going to take a punt on him either certainly a Premier League club in terms of taking him off United's hands permanently. I still think the best case scenario for United would, would be a club takes him on loan, which a club would do that because a club have, have done that for this season. They cover his wages in full and then you release him. And look, if he plays brilliantly elsewhere, fine, you take the hit. You've just got to take the hit. It's, it's a moral, it's the principle of it. And Ratcliffe did stress that word, that it's the principle. So although... I think, you know, it was probably the one misstep I'd have said he played. Like, he, Ineos do not need that baggage of welcoming Mason Greenwood back into the fold. They just Was he always bound it. to answer that question in that manner, though, Samuel? Because if he came out and it's, it's, it's flat out said, no, we're going to sell him. I, not is that the, is that the right said, way to play it? No, no, because he said the megastore's crap. Sorry, he said the museum's crap and the megastore's too small. So he can be blunt and dismissive of things if he wants to. And he said that he said he essentially said Old Trafford should be knocked down. And I know those things are not they're not human beings, and you're bound to be more sensitive with a, with a human being, of course. But he could have said that. Yeah, I think we'll stick with the the, the outcome that the club came to in in August, and you know we'll we'll, we'll do our utmost to to find him a new club in the summer. I don't think there's any harm in saying that. But I think, as I said, what I would say is that he was very thoughtful in outlining the process they will take to make that fresh decision on him. But that decision has got to be taken very, very early on in the summer. They cannot leave it until uh, early to mid-August. I mean, that, that was a, it was a disaster class, what happened with with the decision-making process over Greenwood. They, they took six months to do it. Um, there was some you know, some of the background to it was was quite troubling and it can't be reported for very very obvious reasons legal reasons but i still think it's fanciful the prospect of mason greenwood pulling united shirt on again is fanciful i would say and that, that you know in, in a way i didn't agree with it it was it was the splash story on our side i i i get there's traction for greenwood online he has his supporters online 
but I don't think you should be kowing to the online crowd, and I don't think United will. Um, the matchgoers hold sway. Uh, the, the, the real, you know, the, the paying supporters, they hold the biggest sway. And that fan power has won two or three times in recent years. You look at the Super League, what United fans did over that. It was their biggest victory over the Glazer family. You look at, people forget it, Marko Arnautovic. There was such a backlash to that um, proposed signing that United walked away. Uh Greenwood last year, they planned to reintegrate him into the first team squad. The fans got wind of it. The fans weren't having it. And then it didn't happen. So I, I, st- I still don't think he will play for United again. And I don't think he should play for United again either. They've just got to eventually, at some point or another, get, get him off the books permanently. Yeah, I'd echo that completely. Um, we are running on a bit for this part, but there is a lot to get into. We'll quickly get into... Knocking City off their perch. What a fantastic! I think they'd probably rather they'd probably rather hear us talk about this and talking about like you know uh, who's the striker these days, Armando Broya or or someone like that. But no, another fantastic quote, Samuel. That was. I mean, there is a lot of work to get to City's level. And Ratcliffe, I think he referenced the semi-final with Real Madrid, and he kind of said this was the best football he's ever watched. It was fantastic. I'm not sure if it was with the sit down or it was definitely in another uh, media appearance on that day. And he said, that's the level we've got to get to. We've got to get to Manchester City's level. They've obviously been the dominant force over the last 10 years in the Premier League. Um, They've taken their football to another level with Pep Guardiola. Um, But with Ratcliffe in charge, Samuel, it's very early days. They've assumed football uh, power control and it can only be a positive. The things he's saying, he's, he's hitting all the right notes and closing the gap on City has just seemed like a pipe dream, hasn't it? But perhaps it isn't anymore. He's talking a great game now. United have got to play a great game. And he said, for us, you know, the prospect of United playing like City next season, he said, like he almost he practically said, don't count on it. It's it's too soon to expect it that quickly. And he, he you're right, he, he highlighted City's evisceration of, of Madrid in that semi-final second leg last season, almost as, a, as the benchmark of how you want to see your your team playing um, in, in a game. And quite rightly so, Madrid were the, the the Champions League holders at the time. And if you're annihilating Real Madrid in a Champions League semi-final, that, I think for most clubs, that's, that's, that's going to be one of the great nights to remember with City. It's a it's a, it's a curious relationship that they they have with the European Cup and their supporters have with the European Cup. I think they're probably more more fonder of their day out in York in York back in 1998 rather than what they did against Madrid last year. But Manchester United and Real Madrid is a history that goes back to um, 1956-57, and there's the romance of that. So I think that that clearly stirs Ratcliffe and uh, Klopp's obviously walking away from Liverpool. Ratcliffe spoke about a three-year plan. I I suspect Guardiola won't be at City in three years' time. He's he's had you know in, by by modern standards his longevity has been impressive, but there's only so long he's going to want to go on at City, and his, his contract's up next year, I think it is. So he may be gone even sooner than that. Um, United have got to capitalise on these you know, these opportunities that are going their way and Kevin De Bruyne can't go on forever. Erling Haaland is not going to be at City for the long term, you would think. Maybe maybe City can convince him to stay longer term, but you'd think sooner or later he is going to end up at Real Madrid. The prospect of playing with Mbappe and, and Bellingham, who who wouldn't want to play with those players, who wouldn't want to play for Real Madrid. That's that's why Real Madrid are the, are the biggest football club in the world. So there's an op- opportunity knocks for United if they get if they do the right things and you know they're, they're going after the right sporting director. It'll be interesting to see what they do with the recruitment um, and and whether they can get that right and how quickly they can get that right. What profile of player they go for. There are, there are a hell of a lot of things to to do <clears throat> if they are to, uh, of course, become credible challenges to to City. And um, one of one of my colleagues said during the uh, chat with Ratcliffe, "Oh, is it is it a ten year plan?" And he said, "No, no, it can't be a ten year plan. That the, the supporters wouldn't have the patience for that, and of course they wouldn't." I think three year plan. It always tends to be a a three year plan. I mean, they've people at United already. They they spoke about when Ten Hag came in as a three year plan, and of course. Next year comes along very, very quickly. That three years are up and his contract's up next year. United have the option of an additional year, of course. But 
kind of related to the challenge of city. I, I found it, I found one of the most fascinating quotes. I say it with a bit of bias as well, because I it was in response to my question, but when he said about the style of play, because I said to him that, you know, you look at Manchester City, the style of their of play there is in the image of the manager. Liverpool style is in the image of the manager. Will this new United style be in the image of the manager? And he said, and here's the quote again, we'll decide that team of people, it'll be us plus the CEO, sporting director, probably the recruitment guys, what the style of football is, and that will be the Manchester United style of football. We're not going, and and the manager will play that style. Now, those are the relevant quotes. Now, with Ten Hag, he's a 54-year-old who's nearly two years in at Manchester United. Is he going to be happy to have a style foisted upon him? It's 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 a fascinating one to see how it how it I mean, plays but we've out. waited eleven years to hear quote like that of Samuel because for far too long managers have came in different styles, they've bought different players to facilitate that style, and it has not worked. You need a guidance, you need consistent philosophy throughout the club, and that's music to my ears hearing that. Yes, if if they had a proper person overseeing the football operation back in 2014, they would have appointed a director of football with the new manager. They didn't. They appointed a manager and gave him the keys to the, the transfer kitty. They did it with Mourinho as well until his final summer when they decided to turn the tap off, um, you know, rather inexplicably, given they just finished runners-up to City and they'd got to the FA Cup final. The, the trajectory was was pretty decent and, and Wood, Ed Woodward admitted that as well. So I don't know what they were thinking there. Um, and I, you know, everybody knew which way that was going. And then the manager they backed more than any other was the former Cardiff manager who did, who actually exceeded expectations and staying as long as he did and you know doing some relatively decent things along the way. But he was never a manager who's going to get Manchester United back to the top, especially up against Pep Guardiola and, and Jurgen Klopp. And in Ten Hag, they've made, I think they've still made probably their best decision in the last last 10 years. They had a good first season. The second season, up until the, the Newport game and this winning run they've gone on, it's it's been a bad season. It, you still look at Manchester United's season so far, it has been a bad season up until February. You know, if, if they get going, they've got going, of course. You know, there's there's mitigation there over some of the wins, but They've been winning games. They've got the momentum. And if they can have a really good run in, then people will look at that first half of the season and think, you know, it was difficult, but they came through it and they've shown resilience. Great. But it's it's still going to be fascinating to see how it plays out. And the, the question of style as well, it, it can be overstated because, as, as I've said before, this whole thing about the United way, the top, I mean, apparently there's a West Ham way. So West Ham fans, the West Ham way is certainly not the David Moyes way. There is a distinction. But these ways are playing attacking football that's entertaining, that's crowd-pleasing, and that is, is going to um, result in wins. It's, it's essentially the same. You can have different styles in terms of you know, tactics, obviously. You look at what Chabi Alonso is doing at Bayer Leverkusen, it seems like they go through three different formations in a game and they've not lost a, a Bundesliga match all season. So that that's... You know that that is tactically innovative, but in terms of style, you just want to play good attacking football and winning football as well. And look, I don't see a reason why Ten Hag can't be aligned with what uh, Jim Rack, Jim Ratcliffe, Dave Browsworth, probably Dan Ashworth, and some of the other guys will want at United. But um, but you know he's got a he's got a big few months coming up in terms of ensuring that they qualify for the Champions League, that they have a reasonably successful season this season can still be it could still be more successful than last season if they qualify for the Champions League and win the FA Cup that's a better season than last season uh, but, but you know the FA Cup's a far more cherishable trophy than than the League Cup and if you're still qualifying for the Champions League you're essentially doing um, what you did in, in the Premier League last season as well He's uh, essentially auditioning for his job isn't he across the next three months uh, Ten Hag uh, We'll leave it there for part one we'll be back in a moment for part two It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. 
to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot. Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Welcome back to part two of the Manchester is Red podcast. Now, we've still got a little bit to get through from that interview with Sir Jim Ratcliffe. And I think we'll look at Dan Ashworth now, Samuel. Uh, Ratcliffe said, I think Dan Ashworth is clearly one of the top sporting directors in the world. I have no doubt he's a very capable person. He was also asked about the 20 million uh, floated fee and he called it a bit silly and he said he wouldn't get dragged into it before going on and kind of talking about it a little bit. Um, that was a really interesting aspect of the of the chat again, wasn't it? It certainly was because, as you said, he, he pretty much said that he wasn't going to get into it, and then he, he really did and then get did. into it. And yeah, yeah, and uh, he was he was dismissive of Newcastle's posturing over that, and, and other people at United have been as well. I mean, what what Newcastle are doing is that they they look quite naive, and I'm not saying that because you're you, you know everyone's aware of your allegiance, but legally, I just don't think that you can you can do that, and. You know, Ratcliffe is not not daft. Ineos are not daft, and, and people at United are not daft either. That they will know that eventually they will pay a compensation fee they're comfortable with, and he will end up at, at United almost certainly. I think something something drastic would have to occur for for that to collapse because you know, the, the, he's pretty much caught between you know he's in limbo at the moment. He's he's in his garden, but he's he's more more or less in limbo because he's he's an employee of Newcastle United, but he's not working for them and he wants to become an, an employee of, of football Manchester purgatory, United. Isn't it, really? it is, yeah. I, I don't think, I mean, I'm not too sure how it works, but you'd think surreptitiously United can pick his brains on some of the recruitment that they've got planned for the summer, but that's, they're in a slightly, not a slightly invidious position, but they are in an invidious position there because they don't know if they're going to be in the Champions League or not. And they're not going to know until... Definitely until May. Nobody's expecting them to have top four box off by April. Whereas last season, although it wasn't officially confirmed until the penultimate game, I think from probably January or February onwards, it looked pretty certain that United were going to finish in the top four and the teams around them were falling down. I mean, Newcastle were the ones who who yeah, were probably breathing down their necks, but it was it, it was probably in terms of that penultimate game, it didn't need to go that far. They had a couple of bad results against, was it Brighton and West Ham back to back in, in early May and that, that delayed it. But in the end, I think nobody was, it, it, it'd been coming. They, they're always going to get top four last season. It's it's going to be a much closer um, race this season. Although at the moment, of course, they've had some big wins. Tottenham lost last week. It looks like, but, Villa's form was a bit all right before they lost United, even though they did play very well against United. And I think people are assuming that United are just going to reel the two of them in. But if you look at United's performances, they are, they have still been quite unconvincing. So in terms of the recruitment, that that is that is going to be tricky. And it's I remember in 2017 writing a story that because their their season was always going to hinge on that Europa League final, Mourinho actually compiled two transfer. Um, two lists of, of transfer targets. One if they got in the Champions League, and one if they were still in the Europa League the next season. And I imagine they'll be they'll have done something similar to that because they finalise their shortlist in January. And if they can get away with it, then you you should they they should be picking Ashworth's brains over it if they haven't already. I mean, he's 
as he said in those um, those quotes, rather ironically, on the Newcastle website, he's, he's known Dave Browse for, for a number of years. So there's um, there's a long-standing relationship established there. Brailsford was in the Ineos office um, while we were speaking uh, to, to Ratcliffe. He was in another room on on a Zoom call. Uh, so you know. for some reason, when I read your piece, when you mentioned that, I, f- I presumed he was on a Zoom call. He wasn't actually physically there. That's the way I interpreted that. But he was actually physically in the building. Yeah, yeah, he was he was in the building. Um, I mean, Brailsford was was mentioned, and Ratcliffe had no time for the. Uh, the the select committee's verdict that team's guy crossed an ethical line. He had no time for the infamous Jiffy bag case. He, he's he's just adamant that he, he did use the word high performance regarding Brailsford. He just thinks that he's he, he's so switched on and he will be able to transmit the skills he um, has exhibited in cycling to football. The proof will be in the pudding. A lot of people are you know quite doubtful of that, quite skeptical of it. Um, I include myself among them. I think a lot have to happen for to Dave Brailsford to get a lot of credit. And even if United do do well, I think people would say, well, yeah, he 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 decided to go with with Dan Ashworth, um, and and Dan Ashworth will probably be the guy who, because he's going to be overseeing recruitment and a big portion of football operations. He's going to be the one who's at the coalface and doing the day to day stuff. But of course, Brailsford is doing the audit. He's looking at the infrastructure. He's making. Um, he's, and, and having significant input on decisions that, that Ineos are taking, um, and the, the, the mention of Sir Clive Woodward, uh, Ratcliffe said, I've, "He's not Clive Woodward," which is a reference to for, for people who don't know, Clive, Sir Clive Woodward was the coach of the England um, rugby team that won the World Cup in two thousand three. Rupert Lowe, um, who's now this massive Brexiteer but used to be the Southampton chairman. I think Rupert Lowe is part of Reform UK now, which um, is, is another red flag. Uh, he decided to hire Woodward and try and make a director of football out of him. And on Woodward's watch uh, in in, um, in the hierarchy at Southampton, Southampton got relegated. And there was even, I think I forgot about it, uh, but there was even talk of him actually possibly becoming Southampton manager at one point. So that's how highly regarded he was at the time. But that was just... It was pie in the sky stuff, and I mean Simon Peach is the guy to talk to about that because obviously he's he is a saint, and uh, he he. We need to see how many references we can we can get into Peachy. I think that's been uh, successive episodes now. I'll have to give him a mention on on Monday. Nick Cox. Well, yeah, he's uh, he's he's summing it up at the moment. Yeah, he's summing it up at the moment in in, Miami. In Miami, yeah, yeah, having uh, passed on Knightsbridge. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure. I'm sure he'll justify his trip to watch some nothing MLS game when he, he could have been speaking to Jim Ratcliffe. <laughs> Any excuse to Lionel but... Messi. Um, do you want to talk about Qatar briefly then, Samuel, and, and Sheikh Jassim being a, does he exist in Old Trafford? I'm just cautious of the time, but I'll I'll open the floor to you again because I know I would understand you've got a lot to say this episode. I don't know if I've got a lot to say on it, but I just found it funny. I it was just, that, was, into, that was the funniest um, part of the interview, wasn't it? Come on. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it, it it really was. Even the the way a colleague couched the, the uh, phrase, the question is like this guy who nobody seems to have met. Nobody know, and Ratcliffe all of a sudden he starts cack. He's pretty much cackling and clearly reveling in it. Um, it yeah, that that as soon as he said that, you think I write it down. Yeah, Qatar. That's that's another news line as well. But this was this was something I felt at the time that could be in Ratcliffe's um, interest. Like when, when the Ineos delegation went to Old Trafford, Ratcliffe was there, Dave Brailsford was there. Uh, the other two guys from, from Ineos, I forget their names, um, but but he, the, the two other two senior chaps who's, who pretty much run Ineos were there. They had no problem being seen by press, by the photographers, by cameramen. And of course, Ratcliffe is walking outside Old Trafford. He knows there's some Matt Bosby statue behind him. He knows the words Manchester United right above him. He knows there's going to be that. That's the money shot, and it's, it's strange actually looking back at those pictures because some of them aren't framed as brilliantly as they could have been. But that said, he was on the move, so it's it's difficult for a photographer. I mean, I, I certainly wouldn't have done a better job than them. And this uh, this Qatari delegation that went there, nobody saw them. Nobody knows who was involved with them, and. Obviously, Sheikh Hassim, there are about three or four file photos of him. 
But in this era of deep fakes, you wonder if he was the deep fake shake uh, because there is an Instagram account of his, and that's where I, I you know, I, I, flattering myself here, but I, I think I did unearth an original shake hassing picture via his his Instagram account. Um, but my, my request to follow him was was rejected, if indeed he, he does exist. But Ratcliffe reveled in it because, as I said, he he was present. And you need presence. Manchester United's new Cohen's or the, the guy overseeing the running of the football club, they needed to be seen. They need to be seen and they need to engage. Ratcliffe has been seen at Old Trafford on a match day. He's been seen at Old Trafford for the Munich Memorial Service. He has spoken to journalists. He did probably three hours of media um, uh, stuff on on Wednesday with with ourselves, with the BBC and with, with the club's um, uh, in-house media as well. The, the prospect of some guy who nobody's quite sure if he exists uh, just chucking money at it and watching the money flow in from afar, why would you want that as a football supporter? And the alarming thing is there are a lot of online fans that did want it because they they heard the word Qatar, they heard the word shake, and they thought money and they thought panacea. They didn't think about FFP or profitability but and the connect The disconnect was obvious, wasn't it, Samuel, between match of course going it fans was. and online supporters? Yeah. And we're not having a popper at either party because at the end of the day, well, no, I am. I, I, I am having a... I, no, I, de- I, I, I definitely am having a pop at those who just thought that the guy who's got money, that they didn't look at the shades of grey at it. And that's because they're not completely emotionally invested uh, in Manchester United. The way that it's it's almost like being a well, casual a lot fan. of them have never actually stepped foot in Manchester, have they? There's that, but that that can't be helped with some fans. Some fans would love to go to Manchester, and I would separate them from from those fans. But these casual fans who just think, "Oh, we can get Mbappe," no, you can't because of profitability and sustainability rules. Just because he plays for one Qatari club doesn't mean he's going to transfer to Qatar and Manchester United. But that's how they thought. And I always thought with Ratcliffe, because people say, oh, look at Lausanne, look at Nice. Ratcliffe admitted that they made, he used the word cock-ups regarding the running of Nice and Lausanne. He, was, he didn't shy away from that whatsoever. And he said, it's just as well we've made the cock-ups there because it, it puts us in a stronger position to assume control of United had they not made mistakes. He said, it's fine to make a mistake, but you'll have a problem if you repeat the same mistake. Stake, which is why I think if Ed Woodward was working for him, he would have been shown the door after about five minutes. Um, but he's not only that, he's he's a driven guy. You look at his, this is a guy who 15 years ago, nobody would have heard of. And probably 11 or 12 years ago, there wouldn't have been a file photo of him. He was, he, he, he was, he, you talk about, does Sheikh Hassim exist? People wouldn't have known Sir Jim Ratcliffe existed. But he's stepped out of the shadows through these sporting ventures with the America's Cup, with uh, the, the Mercedes F1 team, with the Ineos Grenadiers in, in cycling, with the 159 Marathon Challenge as well. And now, of course, with football clubs. He always wanted to buy a football club. The ultimate dream for him would have been Manchester United. And finally, Manchester United came on the table and he was there front and centre looking to um, to get a stakeholding in the club. Uh I I never had a problem with I thought the prospect of Sir Jim Ratcliffe coming in for United that was as good as it could get for Manchester United supporters someone who was born in Manchester has got a lot of money talks a great game is driven what's not to like but there were some out there who were very very shallow who just heard Qatar heard Sheikh thought money great panacea will will win everything doesn't work like that and he won the race because he was ultimately very savvy. The way he structured his deal, the Glazers did not want to yes. have a full sale, and he prevailed. Because and he of said that. that he said the, the, he said he was the Glazers' preference all along. And I don't think anybody has any reason to, um, to, to, you know, you take him at face value when he says that. I mean, also in the SEC filings that were done recently, um, there was actually no proof of funds for Qatar, which adds to the deep fake shake. Uh, argument um, we'll move on then Samuel finally from Ratcliffe because I think we've done it pretty comprehensively um, but we'll get into the, the structure of the football club a bit because I mean it has been indicated there will be radical changes and you've wrote the line that Darren Fletcher and Matt Hargreaves could be among the departures obviously Fletcher is technical director and Hargreaves is director of football negotiations behind the scenes Fletcher's had a very interesting role because although he is officially technical director his role isn't the uh, the most usual technical director role, is it not? Because he's seen on the training ground quite a bit. 
um, coaching players sometimes. He's, I think he's even been spotted in warm-ups before games, which if you're a usual t- t- technical director role, that's not usually your remit. I think he's, his role has become more defined and clarity has been brought to it when, with, with Ten Hag coming in. I mean, I, I, was, I used to be quite critical of his role uh, under Solskjaer because he'd watch some games in the director's box, some games in the press box and some games in the dugout. It was, that, that was peculiar. That's, that's not how people see a technical director. But now he's, he's, I mean, Nick Cox, the academy head, referred to him as the conduit between the academy and the first team. If United are in need of a body because a player's injured or it's a recovery day, and they need players from the academy or a player from the academy, Mitchell van der Gaag, Ten Hag's assistant, will go to Fletcher and Fletcher will know who the right player is to, to bring over to, to the first team training session. And then the onus is on that player to make an impression. And that's why it's, you know, as you said the other night, it's interesting how often Sam Mather has been in first team training. That would indicate that he's made a pretty good impression in training sessions, even though it was only a few weeks ago the club announced that he was on this... Um, rather innovative loan move to to Rochdale uh, where it's it's almost like a work experience loan you you're hopping in there but you're not staying there uh, on on a temporary loan if uh, sorry a permanent loan if if that makes sense but he's not been seen in Rochdale he's not been in any of their squads because he's been needed uh, for the United's United's training purposes and I, I think Flake is you know, his his role is where well, it's become more defined. I've I've not had an issue with it. I think that you, I'm not one of the. I've, you know, I have been very critical of the whole old boys club culture that United have favoured at times, and I think that, that there was too much of that under Solskjaer. I mean, having Mike Feeling as the assistant manager, I thought the the coach, the first team coach who had the the biggest kudos was was Kieran McKenna, and obviously he came from from Tottenham. I thought Fletcher. Yeah, it, there was some merit there in terms of because originally he came back to the club in a coaching role, but that only lasted a couple of months, and then he was made technical director, and that was Woodward to a T. You know, we we want a foot director of football, we want a technical director, and then they make two internal appointments, and th- those appointments have had merit to an extent. But that's why. But there's a reason why Ineos are looking to change the structure. And changes are coming, and in terms of that story, it's it's not a car sign certainty that that both are going, but there is there is doubt over their roles, and some some information was held back from that story due to protecting the source, and also, um, and and also it might be something that gets used in a feature later down the line, but. You know, suffice to say, uh, you know, ch- changes you know, ch- changes are planned and something's afoot in, in, in certain areas of, of, of the club's infrastructure. Uncertainty around John Murtagh as well. There has been for a little while, obviously, um, appointed as the inaugural football director. Yeah, not much has changed there, really. Yeah, but, so we're going to have an ignore, inaugural sporting director with Dan Ashworth, but not much has changed, Samuel? No, no. Um, oh, just a message from the um, from Manchester United. Romano, wrong. Eric will be on the bench as normal tomorrow this is Eric Ramsey not Eric Ten Hag nothing yet confirmed in terms of potential move uh, I think that's just in reference to Eric Ramsey's expected departure for, for an MLS club I mean you mentioned uh, Kieran McKenna there obviously Eric Ramsey went to university with him at Loughborough and they're both very highly regarded I think it's important to note Ramsey's just not a traditional set-piece coach um, I think when he first came to the club that's the way his role was sold as under Ali Gunnar Solskjaer but his remit has broadened since then he does a lot more on the training ground with Mitchell van der Gaag um, We'll talk about Luke Shaw then briefly, Samuel, as well. His injury was confirmed on Wednesday night. He was obviously substituted against Luton. Um, he could be out for the rest of the season. And if you actually look at the handling of his injuries this season, I feel a bit sorry for him. Um, because he's come back after his muscle injury in... Well, I'll explain why, Samuel. Because at the end of November, he came back against Everton at Goodison Park. He played five games in, I think, 19 days. Then he had another injury, obviously picked up uh, another problem. He was out for a month when he uh, sustained another muscle injury against West Ham before Christmas. And he played five games in 17 days. Now, I'm not a medical expert, but if you're playing five games in that period of time after picking up a muscle injury, surely you're asking for trouble there. Um, He was obviously picked up a knock again at Villa Park. He was taken off and then he played against Luton. He was deemed fit enough to play. We we do criticise players for being injured quite a bit. And I guess there's an element of their bodies letting them down. 
but I don't think the handling of them is being the best this season. The injury last week didn't reflect well on player, manager, and medical staff. As as I said in the run up to it, if you know, because they said that he came off as a precaution, he had some complaints against Villa. If he was to miss Luton away and Fulham Fulham at home, but he's fit for Forest away in the cup and City away next Sunday, you take that hit. Okay, you you've it's not ideal, you're gonna to have to have an auxiliary left back in, but you take that hit, you could probably get by with that. So that's why I don't have too much sympathy with him on this. And also his injury record's appalling. And it has been ever since he got to United. Look, we I I've caned Anthony Marshall um a number of times over not not just his injuries, but for a number of reasons, but you you have got to be consistent. I mean, Shaw's fitness is is not good enough. And it has been good enough at times. There have been times where he's, you know, he's had a long run of games and he he pretty much did last season. I mean, I think he had one of his best seasons for United. And the frustrating thing is that on his day, he's he's one of the best left-backs in Europe. And also when he plays at centre-back, he, he looks like one of the best centre-backs in the Premier League as well. But that's what, you know, he broke down after two games into the season when that happens, having had a preseason, you've got to have a look at yourself there. Like what can, what what conditioning has has gone on there? Um, if it's a muscular injury, it's always got the the medical staff, the player, have always got to look at that thing. You know that that that's avoidable. How could we have avoided that? What more could we have done? He he didn't play <clears throat> over the the Christmas and, and New Year period after the West Ham game for for a month and it was originally it was couched as a minor issue and he ended up missing four games he's played what 15 times this season out of I think United have played 35 games so he's missed 20 games that's a lot I think in his first season at United he probably didn't even play 50% of the games the, the first season was almost a write-off and and you might be too young to remember Stephen I can I can only dread think how old up. you were at the time up. I can only tr- dread to think. But uh, at the start of that season, on, on tour, Louis van Gaal said he's not fit enough. And this was someone that United just uh, agreed an overall uh, £31 million fee with, with South, Southampton for to sign him. So from pretty much from the start of United, he's, his card has been marked a bit by you know, fitness issues. And that was, that was van Gaal who decided to be that, that candid about it. But he didn't start that season. I think he must have missed, I reckon he must have missed the first half dozen games of that season because of muscular injury. So that's best part of certainly at least a month out. Um, then he had another injury, I think, was more of an impact injury against Arsenal. And then he was in, out, in, out. And then he had another injury at the end of the season. But just looking at it here, that first season at United uh, in 2014-15 under Van Gaal, he played... He played 18 games. I mean, that's, he's that's, only been available for 70% of games in a season twice since signing from the club in 2014. Well, so his go. overall that's, record is abysmal. Yeah. He had a horrific injury with the, in 2015 at PSV. Nobody was to blame for that bar, bar uh, Hector Moreno and, and that that brutal brutal tackle. And, and obviously, he wasn't intending to inflict that damage on, on Luke Shaw. Uh, so, so essentially, that's just you know, it's a horrible freak freak injury and uh he's he's spoken about that before but if you look at his time at united uh it's you know there was a time i remember in 2017 one of the best influences on him is is his partner um who obviously he's got he's got two children with and she's pregnant i think their third child she turfed out all these hangers on who used to live with him and his living arrangements were improved and his his fitness improved as well and of course he was in and out under Mourinho and you look at his like when he joined United. It was just after the after the 2014 World Cup. Four years later, he didn't even get in the World Cup squad because Ashley Young was was United's left back and and Mourinho's preferred choice. And Ashley Young had a good season, so Shaw had to fight his way back in. Did got a new contract, and then it was you know a hit and miss period. I thought in 2020 21 he was excellent, but it was fake football no supporters present and a lot of United players benefited from playing without crowds present. Next season, he had a disaster. Uh, most players did. They they were rumbled. Last season, I thought it was, last season was p- possibly his best season 
because there was a lot riding on it. Um, his, his contract situation as well. He, he got a new contract towards the end of the season, so he was, you know, come, I think he must have been into his last last two years of his contract at that point. He also had the setback of starting really badly. I mean, he came off against Brentford, didn't he? And, and Tyrone Malassia was in the team for a while. Then Shaw came back in. And I don't think he missed too many games. I think there might have been... He came off against Brentford last season with complaints, which was you know, seen as a precaution. That would have been April time, and he might have missed three or four games after that. But then he had a really, really strong run in. So I think last season was probably his best season for United. And when he's played this season, more more often than not, he's played really well. But you just look at his time and at the club, and if you had it on a graph in terms of the, the peaks and troughs, it would be wild. It would be all over the place. And there's a reason why until last season, he'd, he'd never played in a winning winning final for United. They were always, he was either injured or dropped from the squad or um, not not first choice. And having said that, I completely agree. But as you've said, uh, you could have taken a hit against Luton and Fulham for more meaningful games, more important games, especially when Tyrone Malassia has a long-term absentee. They've got no backup there at left-back. So surely you've got to be a bit pragmatic and look at that situation and be a bit more sensible. I think anyways. Um, we'll leave it there for part two and we'll be back in a moment for part three. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Just before we get into part three of the Manchester's Red podcast, just to let you know, we recorded this before the news that Rasmus Hoyland is going to be injured. So please bear that in mind when we talk about Rasmus Hoyland and his form going into this game. Hello, welcome back to part three of the Manchester's Red podcast. We've had a bit of a switch around. Samuel's had to rush off to get to the press conference because the the podcast has been such a bumper feature podcast this week that uh, we've actually overran a little bit. So Stephen and I are going to finish off the pod. My name is Seth Parkinson, for those of you who do not know. Steve, United play Fulham this weekend, as you mentioned earlier. It's a 3pm kickoff on a Saturday, something that many United fans don't really see much of anymore. Um, United have gone into the game. I mean... United haven't lost against Fulham since 2009. Seb, they're in wonderful form, mate. Fantastic form. Undefeated in 2024. Um, on, a, on a massive roll. I mean, Fulham, bottom half of the table now. Um, before I get into it, though, it's nice to be on a little segment with you, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. It's rare that I get a few with you. Yeah. Um, but no, 3pm fixture. I mean, I think that those those games are always a bit flat, to be fair. Sometimes the, the crowd can struggle to get going. So they're going to have to start on the front foot. We've just been talking about the left back debate there and kind of the handling of Luke Shaw. Um, I mean, I was told Malassia should be back on grass next week, which kind of implies it could be back in around two, three weeks time. He's obviously had two rounds of knee surgery. So Tenog will give an update on Malassia at the press conference later. We're obviously recording on, on Friday morning. Um, so I guess who starts at left-back is the big talking point, really. I mean, Sofian Amrabat and Victor Lindelof played in September and October, and neither of those options were ideal. I mean, at Villa Park uh, two weeks ago when United won, of course, uh, Lindelof came on at half-time. And I mean, it was uh, immediately visible, the, the, the difference that made when Luke Shaw went off, especially with build-up play. Um, we've talked about me and Tyrone the passing it's a very hipster thing to say Seth, but the, the passing angles with the, the left footed player and it makes such a difference having Luke Shaw in that team um, so unfortunately that, that will be huge this weekend I'm not sure Fulham have got the players to really uh, target Lindelof and expose him um, William is a tricky forward isn't he I think Munez is doing quite well at the moment so that will be interesting but 
I mean, the remainder of the team, it picks itself, doesn't it? Because United are in such good form. They've got uh, Manu, Casemiro, Fernandes in midfield, and obviously that front three, which is really starting to gel and, and develop a connection. Yeah, Hoyland's uh, in fine form, form of the season. I saw some atrocious comparison on Sky Sports yesterday, which was comparing Hoyland and Haaland. And it was just the, the, the reaction to that from United fans and City fans and Liverpool fans, everything was just absolutely just, they were all just saying this those is... Com- those comparisons ridiculous. are happening again because Hoyland's been in excellent form. I mean, six goals and six, obviously. Um, but I interviewed his former coach at Copenhagen and he went, look, do not make those comparisons. They're completely different players. And I think that's what people close to Hoyland feel. I mean, just because they're Scandinavian and, and blonde doesn't really mean they should be compared. It's, it's ridiculous. Uh, one of the one of the topic of good, com, uh, contentious topic that I saw circling around social media uh, in the lead up to this game was the the idea that uh, Ten Hag could play Anthony at right back, allowing Dallo to go and play left back to cover Luke Shaw. It's utterly ridiculous. But give us your thoughts on that. <laughs> Funnily enough, me and Samuel were chatting about uh, teams of the panel before the game, and because he said he, he really wanted to play someone else, uh, then Victor Lindelof at left back, which I was like, okay, fair enough. Well, who are you going to go for? And he's actually went for McTominay at right back, and he said Rich will go for Anthony at right back. Um, I can't have it. <laughs> I mean, I'd, I'd, I think I look very boring picking Lindelof at left back, but I think I'd rather have him at left back, Dallow at right back, playing his best position. Anthony at right back he's not a physical player he's not a tall player he's not past six foot I'm definitely taller than him and I'm only five foot eleven um, look Anthony does need a game he's been incredibly disappointing but I don't think playing him at right back is the best option especially when considering Dallow's form I mean we've talked about Dallow a few times and I've almost had to say an apology haven't I said in the last few weeks um, for Diego Dallow but he's really found his rhythm again um, he was out of form unfortunately but he's back in the groove he's playing his best football I'd say actually and since pre-World Cup um, in Qatar uh, late 2022 obviously um, so I think you've got to play your best best players in their best positions and Diego Dello has been excellent so for me he has to get the nod uh, right back in Anthony can can continue on the bench Seb. I think that's where he belongs for now because Ganacho has been superb yeah and we can all uh, hark back to the, the famous Manchester United versus Fulham FA Cup clash with uh, where they had the sending off and uh, the manager sending off and uh, so, you know, let's hopefully we don't have a, a chaotic game too much like that. Fulham were excellent that day. They were much the better side. Obviously, quarterfinals of the of the FA Cup and then they capitulated. Mitrovic lost his head. William was sent off and then United uh, scored three goals in the latter part of the match. So, um, they are capable and they are a decent side. The results have picked up in recent weeks. Uh, Marco Silva's doing, a, doing an all right job. They obviously had a good season last year. So, by no means a straightforward game it will be a test and I, I always do think United tend to struggle in those 3pm kickoff games because as I said it could take a little bit longer to get going the crowd's a little bit flat and it really needs something to feed off so hopefully it's a fast start but we'll we'll see on Saturday afternoon Seb I know Samuel doesn't like this but I love a score prediction What's, score prediction <laughs> what are we going with well I think I'll have to see them conceding especially with Victor Lindelof at left back or I mean it could be Amrabat but I do expect Lindelof to play there I'd have to go 2-1 2-1 United Seb and yours? Yeah, so I, I was going to say 2-1. I reckon United will go 1-0 down. Looking at the last two last two games, United have hosted Fulham. We went 1-0 down in both games. And that was in the FA Cup and in the league last season. Both both times we come back from behind. Jadon Sancho equalised in the last game and then Bruno Fernandes won it in the 55th minute. And in the FA Cup, obviously, we've talked about the capitulation of, of Fulham and how United... Uh, United came back to win that so yeah I don't know I just think United have this this real problem in defence where they just concede far too many goals I think if you look at the the United of minus goal difference this season as well it's uh, it's sort of written in the stars that United are going to concede and conceding first it's, it riles the crowd up a little bit I think as well it, it makes the team you know perform a bit better respond yeah, I think when, a kick up the backside just looking at the table then Tottenham don't actually have a game I forgot about that it's postponed so United win up to 47 level with Tottenham obviously Spurs will have a game in hand but um, it, could, it, could, it could feel like a significant weekend in that regard just looking at United's fixtures then so United got quite a a, a, f- a favourable run I would say it's Fulham Forest and obviously the game with City Everton Sheffield United Brentford before Chelsea Liverpool back to back you know if, if Tottenham slip up and, and Villa Villa sort of even off shall we say United could could in a in, ex- in uh, capitals have a have a potential chance to jump into that top four position 
What do you reckon? I think February was always going to be the most important month, and it, it almost has been already shaping up to be because they've had such a good run, got themselves into a strong position for the last part of the season. It feels like they're peaking at the right time. Um, you imagine they beat Fulham tomorrow, you imagine they beat Nottingham Forest in the FA Cup, but I think that City game, that's going to be huge because for all the progress that they've made, and as I've said, they need to control games better, City are going to be the acid test, really. I know they've not actually been at their best this season, and um, the, there is definitely signs of weakness there especially at the Eddie Hard I mean Brentford were pretty good the other night there um, but there's still Manchester City and that will be a test obviously United have struggled against them under Ten Hag on occasions especially away from home um, so if they can come out of that unscathed even if they lose by one or two um, that's almost a positive I know it sounds wrong saying that because it's the Manchester derby and then you can kick on after that you've got Everton Sheffield United Brentford and Chelsea who aren't very good and then before you know it it's April and May so it's going to be a really interesting latter part of the season purely because they've picked up some fantastic results in the last few weeks yeah and and again that that weekend the City uh, sorry coming up you've got Forest and then City could be a bit of a make or break season as well for United uh, we're talking about it on the City podcast that City have got Champions League FA Cup Premier League three different competitions over over seven days and United are the same we've got still in the FA Cup and then the league you know, if United lose against Forest and lose against City, it could be curtains for <laughs> for for United season really. Whereas a win at a win away at Forest and a win away at City, you, you know, United are going to be top four, going to win the FA Cup. You know, it's just amazing how the calm down, uh, Seb, calm down, Seb. A win away at City, <laughs> and we're going to knock them off the perch, as Jim Ratcliffe said. So uh, let's make a start on the third of March. So anyway, Steve, we'll wrap it up there. Uh, thanks everybody for joining us. Steve's gone from host to guest, so it's a bit of a bit of a switch around but we'll be back as normal on monday but just before i go i just want to plug next week on our midweek podcast we've got a an exclusive chat with james weir the former manchester united midfielder he made one appearance for the club in that very famous louis van gaal where he dropped himself to the floor against arsenal he's got some really good stories to tell but he also made a 1400 mile trip to play football during covid and if you don't know his story tyrone and rich face sat down with him and we're going to bring you that in full next Wednesday Steve thanks for joining me for the last part any uh, parting words no pleasure Seb uh, thanks for sorting uh, Samuel Little Turncourt um, leaving for Carrot and how dare he how dare he indeed but anyway I got to show my face so it's uh, always always a positive to take from it thanks for listening guys leave us a five star review if you wish and we will see you on Monday to review Manchester United's 12-0 win over Fulham <laughs> <laughs>